countdown to the last comic shop in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Time. Space. Other infinity gen names. It's more than a linear path. It's a prism of endless creative possibility where a single issue can bring into infinite realities, creating alternate worlds from the comics you know. We are the last comic shop. We are your guide through these vast new realities. Follow us and ponder the series. What if? Yes, what if there was still a global pandemic and, and we didn't get to see Shang-Chi all as a group? <laughs> That's why we got What If on today's program. I am Andy Larson, the host of the most, and welcome back to The Last Comic Shop for this week. I'm joined by my regular co-hosts, Chad Smith and Jay Scott. And as you might have uh, guessed from that great opening from our tremendous Jay Scott, we are doing What If. Not only are we going to be doing a What If collection, which will be our read pile review later in today's program. But we're also going to be talking about the first four episodes of the What If cartoon series. Like, I, would you call it a cartoon series, guys, or is it just a television series that's animated? It's. I feel like it's not quite a cartoon. And we'll talk about that animation, I'm sure. I'd say it's animated. It's an animated series. So. It's not a cartoon. I guess that has a connotation that's negative, although I don't agree with that. I think cartoons are wonderful. But for those people that need to feel like it's a little elevated in terms of, well, this is for adults and everything, it's, I guess, an animated series. But regardless, we're going to be talking about the first four episodes, and we might as well start off our program with that. So if you're here for the comic books, stay tuned. We'll get to you right after the commercial break. But let's talk about those first four episodes of the What If series. J.A. Scott's going to give us a... A quick 10 cent synopsis, but like really just what the premise of the first four episodes were. So, J.A., what did we get with these first four episodes? Okay, so in the first episode, uh, we got what I think is one of the stronger what if scenarios. What if Peggy Carter took the uh, super serum instead of Steve Rogers? So she became she becomes Captain Carter and Steve Rogers is just Steve Rogers. He doesn't become Captain America. Two? He becomes Discount Iron Man. <laughs> in, the, in the second one, uh, what if T'Challa was taken and became Star-Lord? So T'Challa growing up wants to leave his house, wants to go outside of Wakanda, and he is the one who's taken away to become Star-Lord. And, and it's, you know, it's a play on him going around being Star-Lord, but he's the Black Panther, too. Yeah, he stays a good guy, and bad guys become good guys, and other bad guys, they're good guys, too. It's one big happy family. Though everyone thinks that Thanos is still, uh, you know, that's genocide, dude. (laughs) (laughs) So the third one is, what if all the Avengers died? So Hank Pym goes crazy because Hope is killed. She was a member of S.H.I.E.L.D., and he goes crazy, and he kills all the Avengers. Uh, And then... um, Nick Fury and Loki have to team up to fight off Hank Pym. What if we all just forget about that one? That was the least memorable of the bunch. <laughs> and the final one, the most recent one that just aired last week? 
Uh, so what happens if Doctor Strange loses his heart rather than his hands? So the idea is that his love interest dies and she is a uh, – what do they call it? Like An, always an absolute point? An, yes, that's it. An absolute point. So he goes against what everyone tells him not to do and tries to keep her alive and ends up destroying a branch of the universe. Yeah. My title for this one was what if Dr. Strange got split into two and got a different goatee and it was super, super dark and everything dies all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is a great synopsis. I, I kind of like Chad's and I think I'll start off at least my initial thoughts with that one, because honestly, for a couple weeks there, I thought nothing's going to get better than that Captain Carter episode. Like nothing's going to be as good as what happened with Captain Carter when she like throws that Jeep over top of her head with her shield. Like that was awesome. Like I watched that one with my kids. They were just having a ball. In that. And then that Doctor Strange episode came out. And oh, my gosh. Like the pathos in that episode. And and the best thing is, we'll, we'll get to this in you know some of our reviews of the What If series. I'm a huge fan of any time the Watcher plays a direct role in kind of the narrative. Like in this particular one, it's the first time that any character uh, thus far in What If like, turned around and said, Hey, you guy with a big bald head. Like, what are you doing there? Can't you help? Can't you do something? And he's like, I am forbidden to interfere in the traditional Watcher thing. Although, if you read the 616, the Watcher interferes all the time, so it's not that big of a deal. But say, Yeah, but in this one, he's sort of like, nope, sorry, you're bad. You screwed up the universe. <laughs> That's true. He's more, uh, more of a judger. Let me pass my judgmental attitude on you. He's kind of smug about it. He's like, well, if Doctor Strange wouldn't have done this, this wouldn't have happened. I, I, I kind of warned you, but not. So I think the series as a whole is obviously, you know, getting people who, who, who are not super into Marvel. Maybe they just do the MCU. They do the movies. They do the TV shows, but they don't read all the comics or anything. Sort of introducing them more to the idea of the multiverse, that different things can uh, happen and they affect different timelines. And you can jump between timelines. You can split timelines. It's just another chess piece on the board of phase four, I think. Uh, one thing I do notice, and I'm going to point this out, if you like the Peggy Carter one and you like the Doctor Strange one, you must have a big thing for space octopuses. <laughs> space octopi. <laughs> All right, I'm not into that tentacle stuff. I, I'll, I'll just say that. But it is kind of cool. I, I'm, I'm calling it that it's Shuma Garoth. That's who I think it is. For those folks that, you know, read the comic books of Doctor Strange, he's kind of like a... Lovecraftian old one, and I'm, I'm calling it's the same character, and I, I, I'm totally betting by the end of this What If series that we get a throwdown, a WrestleMania style between The Watcher and Shuma Garak. I, I, I was going to say, this is part of the MCU, dude. That's going to take three more movies, uh, a couple <laughs> more spinoffs, and three more Disney Plus shows. I wonder who they would get to do the Let's Ready to Rumble part. Would it be the Living Tribunal? Let's get ready to rumble. <laughs> And his head could spin, so each one of the sides says part of that thing. The best part about this is they would still get Michael Buffer to voice it, because they're bringing everybody back for voices on this thing. Yeah! That, yeah, that's what I was just going to say. I'm loving the production values. I mean, we'll talk about the art, but the fact that they've gotten all these A-list actors to reprise their roles is great. Absolutely. Before we go into that stuff, I wanted to give my thoughts. Um, I, I picture this what if as like the MCU leftovers. 
these are all the things that are left in the fridge that they either didn't cook yet or, you know, should have cooked and forgot about. But uh, you have that Peggy Carter episode. That was awesome. I felt like that was like squaring up with Haley Atwell and all the stuff they had promised her. Like we knew that character was awesome. They let her be awesome. The second one, they, they were just showing off how great Chad Bozeman was. Look, if we just insert this guy in here, all these guys that were bad guys, they're not bad guys anymore. They're laughing about genocide instead of actually doing it. Like, that's great. And then uh, with the, the Hank Pym one, like I said, that one, I, we'll just forget about that. But then the Doctor Strange one. Oh, buddy. Uh, Andy, you were talking about how your kids were watching the first one with you and cheering them on. My three-year-old came down during the Doctor Strange episode. I'm like, oh, my God, this is going to be nightmare fuel for the rest yeah. of your life. Yeah, so that one, dark. When evil Doctor Strange is opening his mouth and eyes and absorbing all those other creatures and then taking on their characteristics shortly. And, uh, and that was after he had already killed his girlfriend 600 different ways. <laughs> Just again and again and again and again. Oh, man. Yeah. It is definitely not an episode that I watched with my kids. I mean, they they watched the first two, and uh, I, I the Avengers one, I was kind of like, eh, I don't know about assassination and stuff. I, I will say that it is the weakest one of the, the four, Is that? but there was one redeeming aspect of that. I kind of liked, I don't know, the Hank Pym played by Michael Douglas be like, batshit crazy like i think his at the end when he comes in he's all like haggard or whatever i don't know i've been watching a lot of the comiskey method so like i'm into michael douglas now so like i'm like ah and it's awesome because that's hank pym like hank pym is kind of a jerk in the real marvel universe so if there was somebody that was gonna go around killing avengers i'll put my money on hank pym yeah but that one's all about hope they forgot about the heart of the mcu the the team player that makes everything go the handsome, ageless, charming Paul Rudd. <laughs> it is true. I wonder if that's the same reality, though, that the President Loki character comes from, from the Loki TV show, given that Loki takes over the... And everybody seems to be okay with that. Like, Loki takes over, and everyone's like, yeah, sure. I think that was actually <laughs> the thing I had the the biggest problem with. I'm like, really? Mick Fury's like, yeah, whatever. He can be president. He can take over. It's fine. <laughs> We're okay with all this. Yeah, because we've got Captain Marvel and Captain America, so the two captains will go after him then. Yeah. They won't be the Avengers anymore. They'll be the Captain Squad. (laughs) Oh, they could get Captain Britain, or maybe they'll get that Peggy Carter from that alternate universe. That would be an awesome. That should be the next what if. Like, bring all the captains together. Yeah, the Council of Captains. That would be the best. Uh, My last question to both of you is really... Best episode, your favorite episode. I'm going to go with the Peggy Carter one. It was the classic sort of what if setup, you know, let's take one thing and change it. And then you got to play around with all, you know, how women were viewed in the 40s. And I like that they they didn't just toss Steve Rogers away, that he became sort of proto Iron Man. And I thought it had a lot of good stuff going on. Okay, Chad. Well, I agree that was a very strong episode. My pick would have to go with that Black Panther episode. Just because when you factor in all the real-life things, and that was Chadwick Boseman's last performance we're going to see in the MCU, and that they were like, listen, this guy is a shining light. And boy, boy, did he pull that off. And just all that charisma and all that emotion, all that stuff was there. And it was wonderful, especially in light of everything that's transpired these last few years. So that one stands out for me as something that will never be replicated. That was great. 
And I guess uh, as we close out our talk on the What If television show, and we're starting to pivot to our the What If comic book, your take on whether or not you feel genuinely that this particular uh, TV show series is doing a good job of kind of replicating the same kind of feeling that we've got for for What If stories for years. I know that J.A. kind of commented about the, the multiverse thing, but Chad, do you think it's doing a good job? I, I think so, though. I, I will say one of my favorite things about What Ifs, especially the original run, was when you would get those different artists on there, like you'd get Frank Miller doing What If issues, and the art style would change. And we never went back and circled about to talk about that cell animation that they're doing. We're like, sometimes it's cool, but then sometimes the voices don't quite match up, and it drives me a little bit crazy. I wish that would change up a little bit more from episode to episode. But I, I think at the heart of it, like, what ifs are always these stories that, like, here's this one point where things pivot. And traditionally, I, I was talking about that Doctor Strange episode, a lot of them do go dark because it's the only place in the Marvel Universe where you can have consequences. Yeah, it is true that what ifs are notorious for just killing people left, right, and center. Like, that's what their, jo their job is. They're like, what if this person died? What if this person died? Because, like, again, in, in regular continuity, you if you kill somebody, it's a major event. So you can't, you know... Death is one of those things that always seems to fire off the trajectory somewhere else. And I'm glad that they're at least playing around with that because that was my thought too. Is it's like, I'm glad that they're doing a lot of death stories because <laughs> that's, that's what, what if is famous for. So I, I, I like it. I, I I'm, I'm glad as a longtime fan of the, what if series um, I'm glad that folks that don't read comic books as much are getting introduced to something that's been a mainstay of Marvel comic books for decades. And, and, and to Jay's point, it's it's playing with the idea of the multiverse, which if there's any thread thus far in Phase 4, it's that, hey, there are a lot more universes than just the one that exists in Endgame, because we got to push that envelope. <laughs> we got to do something else. So, any case, we're going to do something else right after these commercial breaks. We're going to get into our repow review of the What If Collection with great power. So stay tuned for that. Hi, this is Stig from the Modern Escapism podcast. Do you need to get away from the real world for a few hours to find some time to just procrastinate and forget about everything else? If you do, then the Modern Escapism podcast can help you with just that. Our goal from the start has been to distract listeners from the doldrums of real life and provide that getaway that so many of us need from time to time. Each week, we discuss what media we've been consuming from movies, games, TVs, books, music and more. There's always something new brought to the table in hope that we can recommend something for you to enjoy. After that, we have a main topic of discussion, which we have a lot of fun with. And we always encourage listener participation for these. We discuss all kinds of things, ranging from sequels, soundtracks, D&D, &D, nostalgia, one-hit wonders, body art, trash TV, and more. The topics are limitless. So if you like chat about media and just general silliness, then why not join myself, Gadget, Oodles, Candy and Biggie each Thursday and subscribe to the Modern Escapism podcast. You'll find us on all podcast providers, Spotify and YouTube. All right, we're back with more of The Last Comic Shop, and it is now time to get to our Read Pile review. Yes, it is at Marvel Month, and as a result, we do have a Marvel book for you. What if we were to review 
a what if book in fact a what if collection it's kind of a weird one on today's program because it is not like a run or a particular set of issues or one storyline like we oftentimes do on this show this collection of what if books is actually six different stories so on today's program you're almost getting like six reviews for the price of one You know, we're not going to go into a lot of the, the creators because we'll, we'll do that as talk about each of these stories. But I did want to bring up what the collection was. This was released, I think, in 2019. It was a run of What If books that were put out by Marvel. And it was collected in a particular trade called With Great Power. What if? Great Power. And it's got this, uh, I think that they use the, what if Spider-Man became the Punisher as the cover for it. So real quickly, Chad, what were just the overall titles of the six books that were in this collection? Okay, of the six, you start off with, what What if if Flash Thompson became Spider-Man? The second is, what What if if X-Men were... Zero one one zero 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 one zero one zero one 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 zero 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 one 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 zero 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 one 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 zero 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 one 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 zero zero one one zero. No, no, I think I think I think you missed it. It's not zero one 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 zero one one. It's one one zero one one zero one one. No, there's a zero there. All right, move on, guys. The third one was what if Peter Parker became the Punisher? The fourth, what if Marvel Comics went metal with Ghost Rider? What if Thor was raised by Frost Giants? And the last one was What if Magic became Sorcerer Supreme? Yeah. And we're going to be spending a lot of time talking about that particular issue because it's one of those books that Chad has wanted to talk about on this particular program for quite some time. It has been one of his favorite comic books uh, over the last couple of years. And in fact, he's recommended it on a previous show. I think the beginning of a storyline that eventually... We need into... not talk about that. All right, we'll all right, we'll later. save it. But we're going to save that book because I think What If Magic Became Sorcerer Supreme was collectively our favorite of these these six issues. And I think, again, that's the great thing about What Ifs is, it's again, Marvel's Test Kitchen. Whether they put toothpaste on your chicken, you just eat it and you're like, oh, that was delicious or oh, that was awful. But you just move on. And that's the best thing about this. So we're going to start off with J.A. He's going to list, other than the magic issue... Which one was his favorite and why? Probably going to be the unpopular opinion because uh, on the pre-show, everyone sort of indicated that this was what they thought was the weakest entry. But I found the concept, if not the execution, of what if the X-Men were a bunch of digital numbers uh, (laughs) interesting. And that was done by uh, Brian Hill, was the writer, with Neil Edwards and Giannis Milanogiannis as the artists, and Rochelle Rosenberg on colors, and VCs Clayton Cowles on letters. I honestly didn't like that story because I didn't know what the hell was going on. That, to me, felt like I had just popped into issue 413 of an X-Men run, and I didn't read any of the previous issues, and I had no idea what Cable and Domino were doing. And that's why I think it's so great. It puts you right in the middle of a story, like you haven't read a a Chris Claremont issue of the X-Men in three years, you have absolutely no idea what's going on, and you're right in the thick of it. I'm interested to hear your synopsis of this one. (laughs) So my synopsis is, essentially, it's a mixture of Tron 
and Ready Player One, where everyone has an online life and an offline life. And the mutants are the ones who are able to change their environment online. The X gene, E-X-E gene, allows them to manipulate digital reality. And Magneto is trying to turn everyone into an X by giving everyone essentially a computer virus that will give them all the executable file in, in the, and download to their desktop, I guess. So Domina goes in because her ability to use her X powers to change things inside the digital domain while Cable is outside trying to break in. It's very much Ready Player One meets Tron. Okay. I was going to say, it throws a lot of Matrix in there, too, because the, the Domino's hooked up, you know, into the net, and, like, he's got to keep it steady and stable so that she doesn't, like, I don't know, die because she's hooked up to the network. And then at the end, they show, like, the X-Men that come out, and I was like, what is this? Like, who are these people? That drove me nuts. They did two, like, variant covers for characters that appear in one panel. <laughs> And, and the worst thing about it is they have at the end, they're like, here's a biography of one of these X-Men. And I'm like, why See, should I care is, about this? This is how I enjoyed it. I just didn't read those yeah, biography yeah, pages. Yeah, I was like, man, that's filler. I, I will say it makes sense. If you've listened to previous shows, you know that J.A. is a big fan of like William Gibson and the cyberpunk. And so like, I'm sure melding cyberpunk and X-Men was just like his cup of tea. But I was lost. <laughs> I don't like how they explain Domino's powers because she's one of those with luck abilities and she's like, there's a seven in one chance I make this shot. My powers is to make that outcome this reality. I'm like, okay, in a computer world, I can see that, like with all the algorithms and whatnot. Okay. Well, let's move on to Chad. Other than, again, magic becoming Sorcerer Supreme, what was one of the what-if stories that you enjoyed? Okay, so the one I'm going to talk about is the one that I think was the runner-up for least like story in our <laughs> pre-show meeting. It's the what if Marvel Comics went metal with Ghost Rider. Yeah. And, and we just have to preface, this doesn't mean that they put out a comic book with a, a metal cover. We're not talking about 1990s era no. special cover. We're talking about Norwegian black metal. Or Norwegian death metal. One of the two. <laughs> I, feel like, I, I feel like we need a Rob <laughs> but yeah, so this was done by Sebastian Gerner writing it. Casper uh, Wingard uh, was the artist in color. Joe Sabino from BC did the letters. And basically this one I thought played the most and had the most fun with the what if format. What they did, they pretended like Robbie Reyes was an intern at Marvel in real life. So you see C.B. Sabolsky saying, hey, there's this metal, ba metal band coming to tour the offices. I want you to take them around and show them what's what. And these guys, I don't know if it's a real metal band or what, but the, the band's name is Hassenwald. And they set it up like it's a, like a fan magazine. And this is just like a part of it. But Hassenwald is made up of Gareth the Flesh Weaver and Oot of the Abyss and the unspeakable horror of Necrotus. Or Chris, for sure. But they're there for a tour of the Marvel offices. Whenever Robbie Reyes walks him over to the cubicles, where there are, you know, 100 Marvel staffers just clicking away at their computers, you know, and Chris is like, ah, oh, the silent struggle. Pointless search for meaning in the blinking void of life. It's even more beautiful than I ever could have hoped for. 
But it's all that like melancholy, depressing, like ridiculous stuff that is part of the Norwegian uh, metal scene. Where I, I know I recommended to the boys before the show. I, there's a really great episode of Revisionist History with Malcolm Gladwell, where they dig into death metal and and black metal culture. And it's all about being as depressing as possible. And sometimes they're cannibalistic and sometimes they're Satanistic. And sometimes they're all these things. Everything is so dark and so depressing. But at the same time, it brings out so much joy in the audience. And they just they, they played with that the entire time. So it's like Marvel Comics is a real place, but then this band is here and the band's going to make this comic. And they want to put their blood in the comic. <laughs> yeah. Kiss from the, right. like, the 70s there. And when <laughs> the goat that is running the printing press turns into this demon goat and it opens up the abyss, hell and damnation and everything. And you have Robbie Reyes try to, to sort things out. And there's also a nice little meta commentary there. When they talk about how in comics transcend the coil between life and death. You know, because yeah, all these right. comic characters are always coming back all the time. What do you do when, when the grave is merely a pit stop and a world without death is a world without life? And it's all this over-the-top melodramatic metal stuff. I love and, it. and he's got to stop the distribution of the comic because anyone who reads the comic turns into a demon hell spawn. I love that. Yeah, that's right. And the publisher's like, no, the comics go out. They go <laughs> out. They're moving. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing stops printing press day. But at the end, everything is, you know, Ghost Rider's the only one left around and everything's gone to hell. And, you know, Ghost Rider's like, well, when you've got nothing left, give them hell. I'm like, I thought that was a great ending, too. So it was very meta, very silly, very over the top, very dark and depressing at the same time. All the things I want out of a ridiculous comic like this one shot. Well, again, like the X-Men story, I was just lost at times. Mm. Like, I got what they were trying to do. I, I, I won't lie. I, I do like Robbie Reyes, and I think he's an awesome ghostwriter, but those were the only pages I cared about. Where, like, <laughs> when he was fighting the demons and things, I'm like, yeah, this, more, this seems like more of a traditional comic book. And maybe it was just because I had different expectations. Well, I'm going to jump on in with my one, and I think that it's kind of the antithesis of the one that Chad just picked, because to me, this one was the one that felt like the most traditional what-if story. As I mentioned previous in the show, I am a huge fan of the original what-if run from the 1970s and 80s. It is one of my favorite comic books, and I love just picking up what-if issues. So what would be better than giving it to one of those writers from that era? And that's the what-if Flash Thompson became Spider-Man story, and it's written by the wonderful Jerry Conway, who, if you're a fan of The Last Comic Shop, we reviewed one of his books a couple months ago when we did Superman versus the Amazing Spider-Man. It's the same Jerry Conway with art by Diego Alortigui. Alortigui. And Walden Wong on Ink Assists. There you go. But it is wonderful because not only do you get a very interesting story, which again is actually a story that they've already told in a what uh, Back in the 1970s, they actually had an issue where they said, hey, what if Spider-Man's powers were given to three members of of Spider-Man's supporting cast, one of which was Flash Thompson, in addition to Betty Brant, and John Jameson, which is kind of a neat issue if you can track that one down. But in this particular one, it tells the story of really that jerk Flash Thompson that we all remember from the original Amazing Spider-Man run from the 60s and 70s. You know, he was a jerk, but the reason why he was a jerk, because he, he was trying to 
uh, overcompensate for his lack of self-confidence, to be honest, like any other bully in the world. You know, he he does a lot of the things that Spider-Man was supposed to do. Like he stops the burglar because, yeah, that's what superheroes do. And he embraces the superhero life. But you can see how it like the, the cracks in the facade start, you know, falling away from Flash Thompson just because he's a jerk. He has no compassion. So when he's beating up thugs in the middle of the street, because he's not cracking wise, because he doesn't have Peter Parker's heart, people are scared of the dude. And uh, rightfully so, because he's not a nice guy. He has that military mindset where he is a weapon and he wants to use that weapon efficiently and effectively, but not with heart or care or responsibility. But uh, not only do you get this kind of story that unravels you know, Aunt May getting, I don't know, some sort of radioactive sickness Cancer thing, uh, and having to get Isotope 36, which happens in the Master Planner Saga, although I didn't understand that because without Peter Parker giving the blood transfusion, I have no idea how she got that. Of don't how think she too got hard. That. But in the end, Flash Thompson actually ends up killing Peter Parker in a fit of rage. And in that, he he actually has this moment where he says, holy crap, I'm not a good person. The, The great thing about this story is the fact that not only do they have the story going on, but they have a narrative technique that they used to use in a lot of old what if stories where the watcher, in this case, Nick Fury, because he is now the new watcher after the events of Original Sin, is kind of not only narrating the story, but playing a part in it, kind of telling the story and adding his own flavor as a narrator. And so one of the best lines in this whole book that I loved was the fact that like that scene in Amazing Spider-Man 33, where Peter Parker lifts the huge weight over himself and, and proves himself worthy as a superhero. He says, this is a moment that's so important to the tapestry of the multiverse that it happens everywhere. And Flash Thompson get his moment. And he gets his moment by saying, I'm not a good guy. That's where he digs down deep and he says, I'm not a hero. That's what gives him the strength, you know, to lift that huge weight as opposed to Peter Parker realizing that he is a hero and taking responsibility. So great story from Jerry Conway. Come on, guys. You love that one, right? That's what actually I like best about that story was the watcher aspect to it. The idea that in all the multiverse, there are these certain threads that never change. And it goes beyond just, you know, you always have to have this this scene of of Steve Ditko having Spider-Man lift the, the big powerful stuff off of him. It goes that because Ben Parker lived, someone has to die. Balance always has to be maintained. So because Ben Parker lived, Peter Parker must die. You know, even if you change certain things in the quilt you're making, you always still have to have a quilt at the yeah, end of the day. It's inevitable to yeah. Thanos. But yeah. no, I, I thought this one, it was a solid premise. And I thought the story was okay. I felt like it was a little bit paint by numbers. But at the same time, when you're just bringing what if back to the forefront, like that's not a bad thing all the time. Yeah, I like how they placed it. It was the first story in this graphic novel collection. So I thought that worked the best too, because it for people who have who have read what if stories in the past, as you alluded to, Andrew, it gets you back into the what if mindset. And for those who have never read what if, it's a nice opening, amuse bouche, letting <laughs> yeah. you know what what is what what's to come, and setting up the premise. 
You must be watching Ted Lasso as well. Yeah, comments. I will say it's the only story in which they use the Watcher as a character. The rest of them, the, the, he doesn't even appear. This new um, Nick Fury, you know, version of the Watcher. I think he's called the Unseen or something like that now. But yeah. what? You know why? Because that's dumb. <laughs> they never should have gotten rid of the original Watcher. <laughs> oh lordy! You but know what else it. was dumb? What's that? What if Peter Parker became the Punisher? Oh. That's where I wanted to pivot because there is that other Spider-Man story in this. So, like, as a huge Amazing Spider-Man fan, which one you liked more? Because uh, the kind of similar premises is sort of. So, this one, "What If Peter Parker Became the Punisher," is written by veteran Punisher writer Carl Potts, with art by Juan Ramirez, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg, and Travis Lantham from VC did the letters. Premise I thought was so dumb. Mm. Because I, I just couldn't see Peter Parker being a Punisher-style character. I thought the suit, super dumb. Mm. Like, they have Spider-Man gets bitten by uh, the false widow, the Stratota Nobilis, which means Spider-Man's going to be all black and white now. Yeah, and have half a Spider-Man costume and half a Punisher costume, and it's all dumb. <laughs> instead, of, instead of web shooters, he has these Iron Man extending gun ports from his... Yeah! And he, and he makes special bullets to kill certain members of the Sinister Six. He's like, yeah, you know, here's my electro-killing bullet. Here's my Craven, like, hollow-tipped ones. But for everything about this one that was dumb on the surface, I really enjoyed the story. I think Carl Potts, even more so than Jerry Conway, hit a lot of those vintage notes, but managed to put an original twist on it. Where, like I said, Peter Parker, he's out there and he's killing his foes now. He's looking for ways, like the Green Goblin, he's like, all right, so I have, I have to shoot him twice, the first one to get through to the armor, then the armor's going to reform. But if I shoot him really fast with the second bullet, it'll get there. And he's developing all these strategies. And like it was fun to see Spider-Man with strategery. But also, after he rescues Gwen Stacy, he's like, no, I'm giving it up. And then who stumbles across the Punisher costume that Spider-Man famously throws into the dumpster? It's Frank Castle. Yeah. And so it all comes full circle. I did enjoy that story just simply because anytime the Green Goblin is given menace, I'm not going to use the term badass because like I didn't th- I think I, I thought he was kind of lame. Like I, I, I also agree that like a Spider-Man with no heart is not the Spider-Man I'm ever going to root for. And so like a Spider-Man that kills his villains. Nah, that's not my Spider-Man. Mm. But at the same time, that is my Green Goblin. That guy was crazy and he had, a, he had menace and he was psychotic and he was homicidal and he wanted to kill Spider-Man, which was awesome. Yeah, it was it, to me. It was like, OK, this is Spider-Man trying to be like Batman. I'm Batman, Spider-Man, Punisher, <laughs> kind of. That's who I am. So it was an OK story, but the premise, it was one of the weaker ones in, in the six. I was glad when it was over. And then it's like nothing changes, right? Because Punisher becomes Punisher at the end anyways. So the great what if is basically there's no more Sinister Six. Gwen Stacy is the winner of the whole thing because she didn't die, essentially. (laughs) Yay, she gets the no prize. (laughs) Well, there's one book I guess we haven't talked about. And I think it's because maybe in some ways somewhat the most forgettable. And that is what if... Thor was raised by frost giants. Is that the premise? Yeah, it was sort of the White Castle of these what if stories. They good while you're eating it, and then 
entirely forgettable once you've finished it. All right, I'm going to argue with you guys a little bit, but I want to get this out first. It was written by Ethan Sachs with art by Michelle Bandini. Uh, Matt Mila on colors and Joe Sabino from VC did the letters. And the basic premise on this one is that instead of Odin winning the great battle against uh, King Laufey, uh, he doesn't. And so Laufey imprisons Freya and then keeps Thor to raise as Laufey's son. And it ends back. Yes, most what ifs. I don't think that this was a bad story. There were some neat little moments in here. Like, again, anytime you get Thor-Loki interaction, especially if it's done by a a competent writer, which in this case it was, that kind of brother-sibling rivalry kind of thing always plays well. But, like, I'm sorry, I kind of sort of didn't buy Thor would be, like, just so mean in this. Maybe maybe I, I put on rose-colored glasses when I think of my Thor, and he's just heroic. But the fact You're that a nature like, versus nurture guy. Yeah, I, I don't know. He just seemed like, I don't know, a douchebag. And I was just like, I, I, I don't know. See, I, in my opinion, I thought Thor was the dutiful son. I thought he was doing everything he was raised to do. And even though it might not have seemed, you know, what you would think of a Thor... Keep in mind, Odin had Thor do lots of terrible stuff, too. But we'd sing his praises like, yeah, thank you for crushing that monster. And, yeah, thank you for decapitating this thing and doing all that. That monster was just trying to chase birds in a parking lot. He's not doing anybody any harm. <laughs> I, I did like also the fact that they eventually, you know, showed the relationship between Loki and Freya. I mean, that, you know, even back to our Loki review, their relationship you know, Loki really didn't have a mom and Freya ends up stepping in and, you know, teaching him magic and, you know, teaching him how to stand up and how like that's always been important. Kind of like back to the whole notion that like regardless of the tapestry, there are certain things that always seem to happen. And so this whole all this story also kind of plays with that, where it's like, yeah, Loki's eventually always going to be looked at like as a black sheep in some way or form and then end up, you know, hanging out with mom and, you know. <laughs> Maybe yeah. learning how to cook and and then eventually going on to be a great chef. <laughs> well, his jock brother becomes like star of the football team. That's pretty much the story I got. I don't know you guys. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't think you're wrong. I definitely think this one was the best combination of art and story and premise. Like if I went and I picked this comic book up and paid my four bucks for it and you know brought it home and read, I'm like, all right, that's good. But at the same time, is it the most memorable thing? No. I think this one fits the premise of what if as good as the Flash Thompson Spider-Man one. As in, you take one thing and you do the direct opposite, or you change a fundamental aspect of a character, and then you write a story about it. It's very dissimilar, I think, to the final story, what we're going to get into, which is the magic one. Because the magic one, I think, I could see this magic in some sort of retcon. It is that well done. So this is What If Magic Became Sorcerer Supreme by Leah Williams as the writer, Philippe Andrade as the artist, Chris O'Halloran did the colors, and Clayton Cowles from VC on letters. And I couldn't agree more, J.A. There are some What If stories. Honestly, they're the best because they transcend. If you're talking about the test kitchen, that's like somebody created the Big Mac. And like, oh my gosh, you did that? Awesome. 
that's going to sell millions. It's similar to like what they did with Hulk becoming a barbarian, which led to Planet Hulk. Jane Foster getting the, the, the hammer of Thor and becoming female Thor. These are ideas that like end up having wings and just spread. And this one's a great one. Well, yeah. So I, I really enjoy this story. Well, the, the synopsis basically on this one is we start off with Magic, who is wandering across the United States. After she's come back. So she's right. come back from Limbo, but she hasn't gone back to the X-Men. And, th- and that's, the, that's the conceit. That's the what if. What if she comes back and she doesn't go back to the X-Men? So she's essentially hitchhiking across the U.S., posing as a 13-year-old, getting picked up by dirtbags, and then destroying them. Yeah, yeah, it gets real dark real fast. You know, and it's everything you think that would happen to a teenager. Like, And then she all of a sudden, you know, the horns come out and... Oh, it gets it just gets ugly. But then Doctor Strange finds her and he's like, listen, you've been setting off magical alarms everywhere you've gone. And then he takes her and he convinces her. Uh, well, I don't know how well he convinces her, teleports her into his house and sits her down and says, let me feed you a meal and let's talk. And she tells him this story about how she was kidnapped by Belasco, who said he was going to train her you know, give her this opportunity and it ended up torturing her for years until she finally escaped. And as soon as she finishes, Dr. Strange is like, great. I'd like to offer you this opportunity. Uh, well, yes. And you just see, you watch Wong who's sitting there at the meal with them and you just see the Wong face palm. Like, Oh, how could you do that? Boy, it fits Dr. Strange's character. <laughs> yes. Dr. Strange bringing her in and saying, let me give you exactly what you just had, but different. <laughs> But yeah, this poor girl who's been traumatized, uh, you know, by all these different situations from there, uh, eventually she comes to embrace Dr. Strange's training and you see her dealing with all this trauma. You see her dealing with all this pressure, you know, eventually Belasco comes back and it's strange V Belasco and then magic comes in to play and, oh, and it's, it's a beautiful story. Yeah. It's something that's very plausible. You could see that had, Chris Claremont not been involved and magic got turned from a Claremont X-Men to over to who was writing Dr. Strange that we could have had a successor to the Sorcerer Supreme. I like the idea that they don't play up her mutant skill, but her magic powers. Cause that's something I think that gets lost sometimes in the X-Men books there, you know, it's a book about mutants. So they're always focusing on mutant powers and they don't do enough with her magic links. Yeah, and I, I liked the relationship between magic and Doctor Strange, to be honest. Like, it was weird because, like, they were antagonistic at times, but they were also supportive with each other. The relationship was evolving and growing. Doctor Strange being Doctor Strange, yeah, it doesn't work for him. Other times, it really does. Like, this moment when he was just like, look, dude, I'm just tired. And I, you're here because I want to retire. <laughs> And, like, he's dropping F-bombs, and he's, I don't want to say, like, a little whiplashy at times, but, like, I don't know, he, he is challenging her. Like, he knows what her potential is, and he's not pulling punches. Uh, but at the at the same time, like, the moment that Belesco shows back up, he's the one that's like, no, 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 you're not going to mess with my student. You're going to have to go through me to get to her. And I think that's why, at the end, she's like, this is my family. Like he's willing to stick up for me. He's willing to be that mentor, that teacher that I can trust. And and that's earned, which is right. awesome. 
And he, he sells it to her straight. He talks about being Sorcerer Supreme. He's like, listen, this is not a gift. It's a sentence. And just and and she embraces that. She embraces. She's like, good. I need something like that. And I misspoke earlier when I said she was 13. She's 15. Yeah. So that makes all the difference in the world. Anyone who's raised, raised girls knows. 13 and 15 are very different time yeah, periods yeah, in, a, yeah. in a young lady's life. But that scene where she creates the soul staff, that's her act of creation. Like, it, everything was just so powerful. And, you know, we already talked about how there's so many terrible things that, you know, this story reflects. This also is an incredible story of strength and overcoming. And, boy, sometimes you just need that. You're absolutely right. You could see how this book would just basically set off an entire series. And, in fact, we might get to that in our recommendations so stay tuned for that. More Last Comic Shop coming up right after these messages. Do you ever find yourself sitting on the couch late at night wondering, what should I watch? Aimlessly flipping through streaming services, pondering as you let your cursor settle over a title, but you just can't bring yourself to commit and push play. Well, guess what? We do that, and we made a podcast about it. Podcast, but we decided to make ours about movies. I'm Kay. I'm E. And together we start a journey through cinema where we watch a movie, sit down, discuss it, debate it, test each other's knowledge of it, and then give our final seal of approval or disapproval. Yeah. So join us as we try to search the infinite web, attempting to answer the age old question what should we watch? So check us out wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and drop us a comment. Let us know what you think, and we'll have some interactive portions where you can join the fun. So pop some popcorn, pop some wine, and join us, won't you? All right, we're back with more of The Last Comic Shop, and it is now time for our rating of What If? You know, before we get to that, I wanted to ask you guys a quick question. What do you think is better? Marvel's What If or DC Comics Elseworlds? I prefer What If, just again, not only because I'm a Marvel fan, but because I feel like the Marvel continuity is so strong. Like the 616 is like a Bible that when you have these What If stories, again, they're like one-offs. Like They just happen over here. Elseworlds stories to me are like whole realities under themselves at DC. And sometimes they have nothing to do with the real DC going on. They're just like... Yeah, this is a better story than what we could tell with the real the real Superman, so we're just going to tell it. I think the problem with Elseworlds is you don't know where it ends and real DC reality starts. Because, as Andrew said, you know, DC books are so bat-crazy anyways. I think it's more of a marketing gimmick, because half of the books in DC could be Elseworlds books, or not Elseworlds books, because DC has no continuity. All right, so I was ready to agree with you guys on a lot of those points, but here to say that Elseworlds are superior to the What Ifs. He does. I know, and it's uh, actually for a lot of the reasons that Andy brought up. My one big premise that I've always held is that Marvel comic books are great for my long boxes, and DC comic books are great for trades. Meaning, DC can tell a great story, but it can't sustain over years and years and years. Traditionally, in my eyes, it's, it's very rare when that happens. Yes. So the problem with what ifs is they're just little one issue divergence, which are fun. 
but ultimately forgettable. Most of these stories that we read in this collection today, you're going to read them, you swam around in it for, you know, 15 minutes, 20 minutes or whatever, and then two months from now, you're not going to remember most of them. Okay. Whereas DC Elseworlds, because the DC characters are not as steeped in continuity, because they're more iconic, one, they get longer stories, but they take those iconic characters and the Elseworlds give you the things that make those characters matter. Like, why do we care about a guy that could run as fast as the speed of light? Or why do we care about so many different iterations of Batman in different times and different places? Like, it shows you, okay, this illustrates why Batman matters. Whereas, like, the what if, like, it's like, oh boy, this really shows that Marvel made the right choice that first time. <laughs> Like the Elseworlds, I think, to Jay's point, are the things that define the DC characters. Yeah. You know, think of the great DC stories. They're Elseworlds. Right. It's hard to not agree with that. Some of the best DC stories are Elseworlds. So, like, you're right. Turns is Watchmen. Would that be Elseworlds? I don't know if that's Elseworlds. But then, but then you got to question why, if the best stories are Elseworlds stories, do they not just make them real reality stories? Is the DC reality that bad that the only good stories are the non-reality stories? Hey, yeah, for whatever reason, they I've always found them to struggle. Most of their regular books are just too mundane. They're not as adventurous with that. But with the Elf, Elseworlds, they throw whatever the wall. They let Wonder Woman rip out Superman's spine and use it like a Mortal Kombat weapon. Yes. Go back and listen to our Wonder Woman Dead Earth review, and you can hear of all about that. But no, I it it you bring up a great point, Chad. I mean, I like what ifs just simply because I also like the premise of the Watcher. Like you know, DC doesn't have the Watcher. Like they don't have like Marvel anymore. They screwed that up. Well, what if if we move on with the show and get some ratings? Jay, what's our rating scale for the What If collection we read today? And as a as a whole, as a book, even though we liked individual stories, I'm going to. Stretch your sound effect library on this one. Question marks. Okay. <laughs> All right. J.A., how many question marks are you giving? What if? It's a solid three question marks. Uh, there's, you know, as a collection, you can you can come in, you can read a story. If you don't like it, you can always just move to the next story. You know, there's some high points, there's some lower points, but because each story is its own little self-contained thing, you know, if you don't like it, it's going to be over in a couple of pages, and you can move on to the next story. All right, Chad. Uh, yeah, I'm going to say 275 <laughs> for the exact same reason. I think they're fun. I enjoyed a lot of them. I think the the magic was a four star one. I thought the metal was ridiculous in the way that it should have been ridiculous. I missed those those meta comics from the Marvel days, like when what if the Marvel bullpen were the Fantastic Four? That's what it called back to, and all the kiss stuff and all that. That was tons of fun. And then there were a lot of other comics that were just like, yeah, they're good comics. Yeah, I I think that's why I'm going to give it a a 2.5. I think I'm going to go low on this just simply because I I, I think that there could have been a couple better what ifs in this. Like, I didn't like all the premises. There were a couple like that X-Men issue, the Ghost Rider one was uh, okay. And then the Punisher one with Spider-Man, I was just like, all right, that's three issues. And then even the Thor one was kind of forgettable, even though it was okay. So really, I had two good what-ifs out of six. And like, yeah, you can just move on to the next one. But I felt like I was moving on to the next one a lot in this collection. And I would have liked to have seen some some stronger premises, I guess, ultimately make the collection. So 2.5. It's still good. 
I still think people should read What If. It's awesome. Oh, yeah. When What Ifs click, man. When they hit, they really hit. They do. They do. And some other things that often hit are our recommendations, where we give you comic books that you can pick up at your local comic shop. In addition to this What If collection that we talked about today. Yeah, we like to give you something current, something that's related, and something a little bit out of left field. And something that is definitely related is what I'm going to recommend is the What If Classic Collection, which brings together the first 12 issues of the 1977 original What If run. And you get some classics in here. So we're talking, what if the Fantastic Four was joined by Spider-Man? Oh, wait a minute. I think that happened, didn't it? Yeah. What if Hulk had the brain of Bruce Banner? What if the Avengers had never been? Uh, And I think this one got alluded to as well. Uh, What if the original Marvel bullpen had become the Fantastic Four? So much fun. Yeah. So just good old-fashioned what-ifs that a lot have become now reality. So it very much goes to Andrew's point that what-if was the original sort of experiment kitchen for Marvel. Oh, yeah. I still remember what if Elektra had lived, but it's like they, they brought Frank Miller on for those. Like, yeah, I, I, I was a huge fan of later on in the 90s. They did a great issue. Jim Valentino art. Uh, what if Galactus had fought the Avengers instead of the Fantastic Four? That's the whole premise based on the fact that they never get Captain America out of the ice. And that's actually what they're going to be doing in Heroes Reborn, which I want to review later in this Marvel month. I was going to say, speaking of Heroes Reborn, uh, there was a uh, What If by a future Heroes Reborn artist, not the one you're talking about, Rob Liefeld, where What If Wolverine became an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. That one was awesome, too. But what is your recommendation for this week, Chad? So I'm going to go with something out of left field, which turned out to be something related. Because, see, here's my problem. I came into this uh, series of what if kind of backwards because I went to my comic shop and I picked up a copy of the end colon Dr. Strange, because for a while Marvel was putting out these books, you know, it's like all of these heroes, final adventures. And this book is by Leah Williams and Philippe Andre, Chris O'Halloran. You might recognize that creative team, but uh, it's all about Dr. Strange and his magic powers are running out. It's set in the future. And, you know, he has a a candle that represents his magic. Uh, It's slowly dimming. So once he's reached the point where the point of no return, he goes and he sets out to one last magical act. But to do so, he has to rob the graves of all the great Marvel sorcerers and sorceresses. So he goes and steals uh, from the grave of the Scarlet Witch. But he steals from the grave of... uh, Brother Voodoo, or Dr. Voodoo, I guess he is now. And why does he do that? But to summon magic. And what I didn't realize when I bought and read this issue, which was a great issue, was that this is actually a continuation of what if magic became Sorcerer Supreme. And so they kind of snuck in, in the end, a continuing what if story from the same creative team with Leah Williams and Philippe Andre. And it blew my mind because they're not both what if stories. You know, the covers don't indicate that this is a continuation of the other thing. It was just something like, I bought this issue, I read this issue, I like this issue. I went home, I looked it up, and I was like, wait a minute, there's another book by this exact same creative team involving these exact same creators? What, what, what? And it turns out it was part one of their story. <laughs> but uh, I recommend them both, uh, both the magic uh, issue from this uh, What If Collection we read and 
the end colon Doctor Strange. Yes. I think this is actually the first time on this show that we have recommended the book uh, (laughs) book from a previous show. So it's okay, though. Chad really loves this story. So if anything, go out and pick up the end because Chad has recommended it at least twice on this show, which is awesome. And he wanted to give me the business and said, we're not supposed to repeat recommendations. I said, I don't care. There's not a per- more perfect recommendation than it's, Dr. Strange. It's end. very true. But I, I do have, a, a, I think, a great recommendation, given that we were just talking about DC Elseworlds and kind of alternate realities. Mine is a little bit more out of left field than even Chad's. And it was one that I just recently read and, and I just absolutely loved. And so I got to just gush about it. It is a comic book from originally 1991, 1992, first of many uh, team-ups between Batman and Judge Dredd. This was the original Judgment on Gotham, uh, which is a, basically a crossover between DC Comics and Fleetway Productions. It was written by John Wagner, longtime Judge Dredd uh, writer, as well as Alan Grant, with art by Simon Bilesley. It's just tremendous for no other reason than Simon Bilesley's art. Like, again, the whole concept is the fact that Judge Death manages to steal, I don't know, some MacGuffin that allows him to transport into the regular DC continuity. And in doing so, Batman fights him. Eventually, Batman gets transported to, you know, the 2000 AD world of of Judge Dredd and Megapolis One and all this other stuff. And, and, and of course, Judge Dredd, seeing that he's a vigilante, immediately, like, tries to arrest him. Uh, but then, like, uh, longtime character Anderson, also a judge there, kind of says, no, 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 Judge Dredd, we need to help Batman because he's going to take down Judge Death and uh, his teaming up with uh, Scarecrow and all this wonderful stuff. And it ends up just go to actually a heavy metal concert, a death metal concert in this particular book, too. A lot of takeaways very similar to some of the books we did today. But that art is just tremendous. It's amazing because Scott Beisley won the Eisner in 1992 for this particular book. Uh, his kind of Frank Frazetta highly textualized, you know, almost painterly style in this particular book is just a sight to behold. Uh, if you've never seen his his work on Lobo with uh, the arm penis cover that <laughs> Chad has shown me so many times, uh, you know that, that Simon does wonderful work and it's just filled with this. Not only did he win the Eisner for it, but it was also nominated for Best Graphic Novel in 1992 and it actually lost to Will Eisner, who also had a graphic novel that year, and they gave him his own award. So, great stuff. I, I, I don't know if the rest of them are as good as this one, but definitely pick up Batman, Judge Dredd, Judgment on Gotham. It is the bee's knees. Love that stuff. Yeah, I remember that one from when I was a kid. That was my first introduction to Judge Dredd and Judge Death. I'm like, these guys look awesome. Yeah, I mean, Judge Judge Dredd has like a chin that's like a mile wide and all these like and like Anderson looks like that classic 90s hot. So good. So good. 
something that's also so good, so good is our podcast. And make sure that you rate, review, and subscribe by going out to www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. A terrific place where you can find links to all of those wonderful podcasting platforms such as uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, uh, Amazon Podcasts, Pandora, and all these other places where you can find our show. And if you love our show, make sure that you leave us that five-star review because we live for that. We live for your praise. We're hungry for it. So give it to us. Feed us your words of encouragement. They mean the world to us. Okay. And you can also continue the conversation. Say you want to talk to us about this whole Elseworlds versus what if thing. Or you want to talk to us about some of the books we talked about today. Uh, you can find us on social media like Twitter and Instagram at Last Comic Shop. Or on Facebook at Last Comic Shop Podcast. And if you want links to all those, you can always go to www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. And what else can they find, J.A.? I was just going to say, when you're on the website, make sure you check out our merch. And you can play a little what if. Like, what if I don't want... This last comic shop t-shirt, I want that last comic shop t-shirt. What if I want a comic last comic shop t-shirt with some Kirby crackle in it? What if I want the last comic shop t-shirt that's low-key? What if you want the purple Heather? What if you want the red Heather? I definitely recommend a Heather. I recommend <laughs> the Shannon Doherty Heather. <laughs> While we might be the last comic shop podcast, we hope to not actually be the last comic shop. So you can find comic shops in your area by going to www.comicshoplocator.com, where you might find a place that will stock What If with great power, which we read today. Or maybe the What If collection with all those great classic What If stories that are currently being turned into the Marvel stories you know and love. Or... The End, Doctor Strange, which continues a what-if story. They didn't put the what-if branding on it, and now I'm in constant fear that I'm going to miss Leah Williams and Philippe Andrade's follow-up, because I don't know what the cover is going to look like. Uh, but it's a really great universe. I've come to swim around it, but that's for another day. Or you could find Batman and Judge Dredd Judgment on Gotham, or a number of various assorted Batman Judge Dredd team-ups. All that at your local comic shop. All Oof. right. And make sure that you tune in all this month. It is our Marvel month here in the month of September. So next week, you're going to get Marvel books. And until then, I was the host with most, Andy Larson. And I was joined by Chad Smith and J.A. Scott. And remember to stay safe, stay sheltered. And we hope you never ask the question, what if I stopped listening to The Last Comic Shop? Because if you did, you wouldn't get these great comic book talk, right? That's what we do, folks, every single week. One thing we won't be asking is what if the last comic shop covered pop culture? Yeah. Wrestling is fun and movies and Stone Cold Steve Austin. And pop tarts. <laughs>